All right, church, so again, today is our 32nd anniversary. Our church is 32 years old, which means it is a young adult millennial. Uh, <laughs> if you guys don't know, millennials are those who are born uh, between 1981 and 1996. I qualify, I am 35. Um, I know most people, when they confess that, it's like, I know, I'm sorry. I'm a millennial. Um, but, you know, if you aren't familiar with millennial stereotypes, here are what they tend to be. I found uh, some online. Number one, they don't want to settle down and get married. Number two, millennials love avocados. <laughs> Woo, here too. Um, millennials couldn't survive a day without their phones. So. <laughs> <laughs> Chuckling over here. Social media has turned millennials into a bunch of narcissists constantly seeking validation. Um, is millennials choose to live with their parents instead of finding a place of their own. I'm not calling anyone out here. Um, <laughs> ma- millennials were raised in a world of participation trophies and expect rewards for every little thing they do. Gen Z as well, yes, more so them, yeah. Um, and millennials are lazy. <laughs> Great, okay, so that's who we are, millennials. Who here is a millennial? Can you raise your hands? I am. Okay, a good, a good chunk of our church. All right, well, you know, I, for the record, I, the only one that I heartily agree with is the whole avocados piece, you know. That, that's me. It's so healthy. It's, it goes w- well with a lot of things. Um, but I don't like it on my toast. Um, you know, that's, that's a joke. Millennials, we love avocado on our toast. That's why we're in debt, because we pay so much for food. Um, but, you know, again, when we confess that we're millennials, it's like, oh, yes, I am one. But we tried so hard to prove that we're not. We're not that millennial, you know? And so we as a church, we are a millennial church. We're 32 years old. And, and it, in a way, we want to be different from the surrounding culture and its stereotypes you know, of bad examples of what church, the church should not be and what the, what the scriptures have laid out of what the church is and should be. And actually, the word church actually comes from the Greek word ekklesia, ek kaleo, ekklesia, meaning called out, okay? Called out, meaning that you are called out from darkness and into the kingdom of light. And so, yes, you are supposed to look different from the surrounding culture around you, radically different, and so going into our 32nd year, I kind of want us to do a diagnosis. Do we, do we, how are we doing? Are we called out? Are we different from the surrounding culture? What is our guide? Or do we just blend in like everybody else? And so, if you're here today, if you're visiting today, and you're just kind of checking out this Christianity thing, first of all, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. I know that takes a lot of courage. Okay, so thank you. Number two, I wanna, I'm going to invite you to join us as we look into what it means to live in this radically upside-down, inside-out living that Jesus is calling us to, if you're sick of kind of blending in with the rest of the, counter, of, of the culture around us. And so today, my text is really simple. Well, the sermon title is For Every Season. And what I'm going to say, instead of taking our cues from the culture around us, is to go to God's Word and let that be our guide for every season whether it's a dry, harsh season or a real season of blessing and flourishing that, like we kind of find ourselves in by God's grace as our church is in. But whatever season of life you may be in, let God's word be the guide 
for your flourishing, for your changing, for your fruitfulness, as we're about to see. That's, that's the main picture. So Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist writes, he writes a song, okay? He says, blessed is the man or the person who, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Lots to unpack here. But really quickly, basically, you get this image of, of, of a person who kind of, you know, they, they realize, man, God is awesome. God is great. God loves me like that. Man, there's nothing better. What else should I, could I possibly live for than God revealed in Christ? But, but then what begins to happen is that they start to look out beyond, beyond God's blessing, and we start to walk. We listen to the counsel, the advice of those who are far from God, and we get to listen, we begin to walk. And then, not only that, it, it, it digresses into a degree of standing, so it's a decided, now I'm here. It's, it's affecting not only my thinking, but now my behaving. And then, I begin to sit. I get settled down and comfortable in the seat of sinners, of scoffers. Do you see? It's a, it's, these are degrees that begin to happen. This, these are degrees of sin and, and, and hardness against God and his ways. And this usually begins not like, you know what, this is what I'm going to go do. I got this plan. I'm going to go walk. I'm going to stand. I'm going to sit. It doesn't happen like that. Usually what happens is, is that we look out into the distance and we go, you know what, just like it happened in the Garden of Eden. You know what, actually that looks good and pleasing to the eye. God is holding out on me. I know better, God. The height of pride, right? And so that begins. And subconsciously that's how it happens. And you begin to wander off, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, right? And that's what begins to happen. We think that joy and fulfillment and fruitfulness and flourishing is found out there. Speaking of the Super Bowl, it's like, it's like when you, um, like a football player, imagine the football player thinking, you know what? I can score a touchdown by running outside the boundary lines when the ball is not in play and I get to the end zone and score a touchdown. That's how I'm going to win this thing. Do you see? To which the refs go, what is that guy doing? Is he is his screws loose? What's, what's going on with him, right? It just doesn't make sense, and that's what we end up doing. We think happiness is found in doing whatever we want. That's what the culture tells us. You define happiness for yourself. You define truth for yourself. The fact of the matter is we don't even know what we want, right? We don't even know what we want. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is that, uh, you know, kind of my, one of my New Year's resolutions is to kind of cut down on sweets, right? Um, I'm 35 now, so I am reminded to be more proactive with my health. And so, and there's a real idolatry thing there where I'm going to it for refuge and comfort. And here's the thing, I really want to be healthy. At the same time, I really want ice cream. <laughs> you can't have both. I want to eat ice cream every day, every minute of my life, and chocolate, too, on top of that. I just can't have that, right? I don't even know what I want. They're, they're always clashing and contradicting. This is why we're all so restless and chained to these addictions, right? But those rules have been put in place. God's word is, is, is graciously granted to us so that in this, think of it as like the boundaries that are delineated for us within which... We can experience true growth, true transformation, true freedom, true joy in ways that we can't outside when we step outside of that boundary. Walk, wander off, stand, sit. Do you see? So, with that said, we have to realize this is how the degrees of wandering off happens. 
And then that last stage of hardening, if you notice, scoffers. You know, we were sitting in the seat of scoffers. We were sitting. Scoffers is defined as an arrogant fool. An arrogant fool who hates correction and discipline. He refuses it. He thinks he knows better. So much so that he looks down on those who are trying to walk with God. And so he arrogantly scoffs at them. He's bitter. He's prideful. And the reason they've gotten to this point, it, it started out as, oh, man, I messed up. Oof. You know you know when you mess up, right? And, 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 you, and you shouldn't. And, and, yeah, you can agree to that. But then your conscience gets seared. And then all of a sudden, you, you, everything gets switched. What's good is bad. What's bad is good. And so we begin to scoff at those, at the way of righteousness, at the way of God. So it actually begins in the realm of thinking. It begins in the realm of thinking. When, you, when, you're, when you're actually, when, so God gives this to us, okay? He gives this to us for our lives to find, to find its orbit around him, orbit around him where everything gets ordered and where the healing begins. But then we begin to wander off. Into which, and then eventually, we kind of look at that thing and we go, no, the Christian faith, forget that. To follow Jesus, forget that. that. That's how that begins to happen. I love what Tim Keller writes in The Reason for God in his book. He says, now what happens if you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends your sensibilities and crosses your will? If you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, how will you ever have a God who, who will contradict you? You won't. You'll have a God essentially of your own making and not a God with whom you can have a relationship and genuine interaction. Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle as in a real friendship or marriage <laughs> will you know that you've gotten a hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. To stay away from Christianity because part of the Bible's teaching is offensive to you assumes that if there is a God, he wouldn't have any views that upset you. Does that belief make sense? Contrasted with verse 2, look at the man of God who's blessed. Blessed literally means like happy because you, you have God's favor on you that you don't deserve. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates on it day and night. He delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates on it day and night. That word uh, meditating is actually like this murmuring, where he's just kind of like reading, 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 and he's like kind of murmuring, murmuring, because he's trying to commit it to memory. He's trying to like bury it deep in his heart, so that, as it says in, in the book of Joshua, meditate on a day and night, so that you'll be careful to do everything written in it. It's for a purpose, to actually walk in it. Do you see? So he's meditating, meditating, meditating on it, committing it to memory, committing it to memory. You know, for me, when I was in junior high, you know what I did instead of that? Was I loved gangster rap, battle rap, right? And so, and so what I did was, we had cassettes, okay, millennials? We had cassettes, and so I had to, what I did was I recorded this one song that I loved so much. It was a battle rap song, and it basically just talks about how prideful, you know, how, how awesome you are, da 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 it's so foolish. And so I loved it. I had it on repeat on my CD and recorded that thing for 90 minutes, and I would just listen to it onto my Walkman everywhere I went, and I memorized the whole song. I'd murmur it to myself, meditate on it day and night. And, and what, what happened, I was just this arrogant fool walking around. As a junior high school student, how foolish. And trust me, God had his ways of humbling me. And I thank God for that for many years, you know. 
But in a similar way, what, what this man does is that he takes God's word and he, he's, this is what he has on repeat. This is what's blasting in his headphones. And he's committing this to memory. And it begins to overflow into his life where he's walking and being careful to obey everything that is written in it. Do you see? You know, just, uh, I think this summer, last summer, we had VBS for the kids and I decided to help out for a few days and the main verse was in Isaiah. It was, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And I remember, you know, we'd be telling the kids that every morning, when, we pass, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. I'll make them repeat it. We're like in this fake raft and we're like rowing, you know, and telling them, when you pass through the waters, God will be with you, you know. And it was just something that I was just kind of like teaching them, da da da, da you know. And I remember just a couple weeks ago, I was driving, and I was just having like a really difficult day, and just like all these burdens just kind of came flooding. You ever had one of those days where your burdens just kind of flood your mind and heart, and it's like you're tempted to despair? And I was having one of those moments as I was driving, and all of a sudden, that verse just came to my mind. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And I almost cried right there in the car. I got so emotional. Why? Because that VBS week, I, I was forced to memorize that verse and commit it to memory. And in time, when the tough season came, it bore fruit. Do you see? Commit, committed these things to memory, murmuring it, so that you can be careful to obey everything written in it. John 15, Jesus says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be to the full. He's saying, look, this is for your good, child. This is for your good. Anyone who's a parent knows how, the truth of this. And though at the time it doesn't make sense why you, you, you know, you're being disciplined or corrected or why you got to do this or that. And it's just so like, ah, oh, why? But you know, the parent, that it's so that they can flourish later on. Verse 3, and you get this idea right here. I'm going to close on this last verse. He's like a tree, <coughs> excuse me. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. That word planted is actually, in, in, in the Hebrew, it's the idea of being transplanted. So it's a tree that was taken out from its original location, right? Because where it was, it was, it was dry, it was fruitless, and so... It's taken out by someone who really cares for the tree and puts it where it's going to really flourish, where specifically where there's irrigation canals in the dry desert can water this tree no matter what season it's in. That's what it's talking about. It's a picture of grace. A picture of grace. That's exactly what God has done. That we were in, in this place of hardened heart. We were in this place of judgment. It was this place of death. But God transplanted us, Colossians 1, from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son, where we will flourish forevermore, starting now. As we feed on his word daily, as he said in John 15. You know, Rebecca and I, we're, uh, praise God, we're going to be moving finally after, you know, a two-bedroom condo with three children. And Rebecca, what she has done is that she rented this book at the library uh, by Joanna Gaines, Fixer Up or anyone. Joanna Gaines, an outspoken uh, Korean uh, and white. Uh, 
Korean. <laughs> Christian. That's the most boring. She's Christian. Christian. Uh, she, she's spoken. <laughs> she's not shy about her faith. Okay, she's outspoken about her, her love for Jesus and her faith that she was brought up in. And so was her husband. And by the way, like, man, team first impressions. Can we just give them a round of applause? Like, man. Like this, did you borrow the book too? Like this, this is exactly how every page in the book looks. Um, uh, so, well, Rebecca rented that book specifically to get ready to, you know, you know, decorate and, you know, make our place nice to be able to host people and for children to just really, you know, have fun in our home and, and grow together. And she's just reading this. She's just getting so excited. She was just telling me yesterday, like, oh, man, there's so much in there. I'm so excited to, to get her home ready, da 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 and that right there is actually the picture of what's happening with this tree in, the, in that sense. Is that it's, it's transplanted into this place where, yes, it, 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 all these different kinds of seasons happen. Even especially dry, wintry, harsh seasons. But there's this right here, right under, under its nose, is this river, the word of God. And it's drawing strength and life and flourishing from that river every day. And specifically, it's the Word of God. It yields its fruit in its season, no matter what season it's in. No matter what season you're in right now, God's Word is right there to help you heal and be restored and to flourish right there. This actually is a very distinct sign of Christian maturity. That there's a continual return to God's Word and His ways when you don't feel like it. There's a continual return to God's word and his ways when you don't feel like it. What do I mean? Because the picture given here, tree, again, it's in a desert. And, 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 and it's cold. It's wintry. It, it, there's just no rain. Meaning the external circumstances say, tree, give up. Tree, there's no hope here. And all of your circumstances right now in your life are telling you there's no hope. Just give it up. Give it a rest. Go walk off. But then the Christian maturity, the sign of the Christian maturity is you say, you know what? I know that this is what my external circumstances, what my situation says. I know that this is what my career looks like. This is what my broken family looks like. This is what my, my uh, broken relationships look like. This is what my struggles look like, my, 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 my inner struggles. But right here is the word of God. And I'm going to draw from that because I believe that Jesus promised that when I abide in him and walk in his commandments, that I will have joy to the full, that I will bear the fruit of the Spirit no matter what's going on. <coughs> on the flip side, the sign of Christian immaturity is letting feelings lead you away from God's word and his ways. The external circumstances tell you, leave, give it up, give it a rest. And so what do we do in this place? Even though the word of God's right there, right under our nose, we, we look at the external circumstances and we go, you know what, let's see what else is out there. And in the desert, in the distance, we see a mirage. You know what a mirage is? A mirage is when there's, an, uh, there's this optical illusion that happens in the heat, in the distance, you see like a sheet of water. You see that sometimes when you're driving, right? It looks like a sheet of water or oil when it's not really there. And we go, wow, if only if I was there, that's where it's at. 
And when we get there, we think we're there, and then it's totally dry and dead and barren. You know, um, I've heard it said, what's worse than failing at what you're trying to do? What's worse is to succeed at what you're trying to do and to realize it didn't even matter. What's worse than failing at what you're trying to do is to actually succeed at it and to realize at the end of the day, it didn't even matter. And that's what we, oh, millennials, oh, man, speaking of, this is what we struggle with. Everything, grass is green on the side, always, always. We get there, we work hard, whether it's career, money, relationship, you name it, fame, and we get there, and we're, we're just as broken, just as scarred, and we come back even more scarred to Jesus than when we started. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters, you will love one and hate the other. Make it Jesus, choose Jesus. And thus my charge, 32nd anniversary church, it's personal and corporate. Whatever season you're in right now, and we as a church in this season of just a blessed flourishing, we thank God for that. But no matter what season we're in as a church or as individuals, continually drink deeply from the word of God and walk in it and bear fruit for every season. Let it be the delight of your heart. Let that, his love and his lordship be the backdrop of why you draw from that water every day. And here's the thing. I just want to close with this. We're not going to be able to go, you know what, I should read it. I should just do it. Nah, that's not going to happen. We've tried that every day. It doesn't work. Here's what we got to do. We got to remember that Jesus himself, that he himself, he was hung on that tree, on that cursed tree outside of Jerusalem, the holy city. He was placed, he was planted onto a hill called Golgotha, which was the shape of a skull. So it was a place of death. And he was planted there. He was transplanted from a place of blessing to a place of cursing. And he was cursed and hung on a tree so that anyone who would receive him would be planted, supplanted and transplanted from their place of cursing and death and into a place of blessing and life and into the new Jerusalem forever. And when we remember that, that he himself, the tree of life, was cursed so that we can be blessed. And we remember that his love and lordship, it goes that deep. Then we can remember, man, there's nothing better out there than him right here. No other idol, no other false god or counterfeit god loves me like that. No other God, nothing in this world has promised that. Nothing can make me secure and whole and restored than that. Jesus, who was cursed so that I could be blessed in him forever, and nothing can change that. And that's why today and every day and every season of life, I will drink deeply from his word and walk in it and bear fruit for every season to his glory. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you now and we want to thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus, to that hill of Golgotha, to that place of death, of barrenness, of desertion, 
so that we can be brought into your heavenly kingdom forever and ever. Whereas it says in Revelation that the river flows through the city so that the trees, leaves will never wither and that its fruit is healing for the nations. And so God, because of that, with that backdrop, Lord God, no matter what season of life we're in, no matter how uncertain, no matter how, uh, how difficult our external circumstances may be, we see that beautiful picture, that beautiful backdrop of your gospel. And we say, I will still firmly plant and be rooted in your word and draw strength from it every day and trust that this is where true joy is found. Because you have brought me out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your son forever and ever, and that will never change. And so God, lead me. Lead us as a church together for every season to continually drink deeply from your word and bear fruit for every season for your glory alone. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.